Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I'm here with my friend, Dr. Kate Boatwright, and we were talking about a new article she put out recently looking at the demographics of vet medicine and where it's going. She's looking at demographic trends in veterinary school, in the new class uh, for veterinary school, and it's fascinating stuff, guys. Enrollment for vet schools is going up. The vet schools are getting bigger. Oh, we've got LMU putting out uh, two classes a year uh, coming up and getting started. We have got um, we've got we've got larger class sizes. We have got increasing diversity in our profession. Yay! We have decreasing percentages of men in our profession. Boo! Uh, we've got uh, we talk about the driving factors for uh, for those trends. We talk about what it looks like and where it goes in the future. We talk a bit about uh, feminization of vet medicine. Uh, we talk a bit about um, what's going on in the education in general. We talk about uh, a lower number of men graduating college and what that means for vet schools and things like that. So we, it's, it's, a, it's a sprawling demographic conversation as we look at medicine and the composition of medicine and where it's going. So guys, I hope you'll enjoy this uh, conversation as much as I did. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kate Boatwright. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Andy? I'm doing okay. I'm doing, I am doing pretty darn well, actually. So yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for being here. I, uh, it is a real thrill for me to have you here because I remember when you were a baby vet student, uh, is when <laughs> yes. we met, is when you were, you were in vet school. You went to, you went to Penn, right? DMD? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. I'm a Penn Wee. I remember, I remember when we met, when we met. I've, I've been thinking, I may need to stop saying that because there's just more and more people now. I was like, I remember you in vet school. And I'm like, I don't know if people like to be introduced that way. I remember <laughs> you from there. But you have gone on and ha- already had a distinguished career uh, very, pretty quickly. You are, you are writing a lot. I see your name a lot. You write for DVM360. You're doing some stuff. You are a regular thing in AHA Trends, I think. Uh, you do Newstat. You write for, D, um, for uh, today's uh, vet practice is what we're going to talk about today. I saw an article there that you did that I really liked that I want to talk to you about. Um, it's just, you're, you're just doing a lot of stuff. You're doing some speaking stuff. I'm seeing you on some of the conference um, programs and things like that. I wanted to get in with you and talk about this article. So you've got, it was in October, today's vet practice, and it was called uh, The Next Generation of Veterinarians. This article is about the, uh, it's about enrollment in vet schools today and changing demographic trends that we are seeing. And I actually thought it was, I thought it was really, really interesting. And so what I wanted to do with you today is just kind of walk through what are we seeing from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint? What are we seeing as far as changing demographics in the vet school? Um, talk, talk to me at a high level and then let's start to drill down. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, The article kind of focused on the AAVMC's uh, data report on the current kind of demographics of the veterinary student population uh, that was published, I think it was over the over last summer. Um, and, and, you know, the, the big three trends that they highlighted were increasing enrollment, um, which is a good thing for our yeah. veterinary shortage right now. Um, and then significant improvement in DEI and, um, you know, but a continued decline in our male student population. Um, and I was able to, to talk to Dr. Lisa Greenhill over at AAVMC for the article. Um, and she gave me a lot of the context of the data. Um, and, and, you know, I think I quoted her, you know, she's the data that the story or, or the story the data tells is the, is the fun part. 
Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's, um, I'm going to let you take it from here. Just, just, uh, I, I'm interested in when we talk about increased enrollment, how much enrollment are we talking about? So uh, let me start, start with that before we dig, dig into the story of the day to tell. What, what are we talking? Is this, is this a 5% increase? Is it a 20% increase? What, what sort of, what, what a scale of increased veterinarian production are we seeing now? Yeah. So, uh, the current in the incoming class. So this would be the, for the class of 2025, um, that we're entering vet school this fall. Uh, we saw about a, it was a little over 4%. I think it was like 4.7%, uh, overall increased enrollment from the previous year. And, you know, one of the big drivers of that, uh, has been the opening of some new schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've seen, you know, new schools pop up. We're starting to see, you know, schools like Lincoln Memorial are introducing a second class yeah. um, in, in the calendar year, which is is going to be another, you know, increase in our, in our enrollment. Um, you know, I remember when I started vet school, there was a, a huge jump in enrollment around that time. So I started vet school back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that was, that was, you know, that everybody was saying there's a veterinarian shortage. And I remember that. Um, yeah. No, there's been a and, surplus. Uh, he, they were saying there was been yeah. a surplus. That was, yeah. I, I, I've never forgotten this. And so, so I, I'll tell you the story just real quick because it has always affected my thinking ever since. So I graduated in 2008 and um, there was this anger about the surplus of veterinarians and we are going to be swamped in veterinarians and nobody's going to have a job and veterinarians are going to work for peanuts because there's going to be so many of us and people were angry and that was the defining narrative it was everywhere and then jump ahead about three four five years uh i was watching danny mcvitie lecture at a at a at a conference one time and it was it was like a it was like a town forum type thing so it was this open discussion and someone was kind of from the audience was grilling danny who's a good friend of mine and and Mm -hmm. grilling her and they were like with all of these veterinarians and blah 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 and danny was the first person i ever heard just really push back and she said she's the founder of lap of love pet hospice and and they were growing really fast at the time and she said where are these veterinarians that you're talking about because i can't find them because i would hire them and they're not there Mm -hmm. And there was murmuring in the room from people who were like, I have also struggled to hire a veterinarian. Yeah. And that was for me, it's like, I was almost like I just saw the tide turn in this room and it never went back. And after that, just the chorus just came up of, we, we can't get help. But I, mm-hmm. I say that because the narrative people were so certain and they were just like, this is what it is. And then just, I saw it turn in that room and then it just ran away. And it's funny, I, I've always remembered that because you hear these things and people say, well, that's just what it is. And I go, I've heard that story before. And sometimes <laughs> that's not what it is. And sometimes yeah. the idea changes really fast. And so it's just funny, whenever people talk about doom and gloom, um, it was just funny that the doom and gloom was, there's too many of us. And it immediately flipped <laughs> to doom and gloom of, there's not enough of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's also always been the question of, you know, are there too many in one area versus yeah. another? And, you know, both geographically and just practice area. And, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of friends from vet school who aren't in practice anymore. Um, and so I think, you know, that's been another trend that we've seen just in the, you know, in the overall veterinary population is, is people who are still working as veterinarians, but in different capacities. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see where, you know, where these, these vet students that are in school now, where they're going to go, are they going to end up in clinical practice? Or are they going to end up, um, 
you know, are they going to end up out in, you know, industry or academia or, or where they're, where they're going to go? Yeah, we had a, I had a, a guest on a nutritionist just recently, and she was telling about coming out and being in general practice for a while, and then ultimately kind of feeling stuck, and then doing a non traditional residency, and you know, and and now now she works with uh with uh with Hills, and it's just been um yeah, it, it's it, I I see a uptick in that, and I'm curious, I don't know if I don't know if you have data to support veterinarians working in larger numbers outside of practice or more non-traditional veterinary roles. But just anecdotally, um, I don't know if it's, the, I don't know if it's the circles that we run in. A lot of our friends do things <laughs> right, that are not right. in the clinic anymore, or if that's, if that's a more nationwide trends. I don't know. Do you have insight? I don't know that I have specific data. I mean, I know I hear, you know, a lot, you know, obviously I hear lots of conversations um, about, you know, Hey, it's really hard to hire. You know, I've been in, you know, in multiple small animal and emergency hospitals that are, you know, struggling and, and short staffed and, um, and I'm in a pretty rural area. So it's sometimes it's hard to, to recruit, you know, people, people don't want to come live in, you know, in the boondocks, Western Pennsylvania. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I do, I think there's a, you know, I think the people that I talk to either are moving out of practice or, you know, like I did where I worked, part-time now in practice. And, and that was so that I could have more time to do all this other stuff that I do. So I think there's a movement of that as well as, as the, the way I've heard it explained is looking at veterinary working hours as opposed to just the number of veterinarians. That makes sense. Talk to me a bit about, so we talked about sort of increased enrollment. I, I do, I think the LMU model of turning out multiple classes per year is really interesting. They've, uh, you know, we, yeah. we've seen this in the Caribbean schools. I think some of the Caribbean schools were doing mm-hmm. three classes a year. Um, yeah. I, is that true? Okay. I, I thought that was, I thought that was, I'm, case. I'm least pretty two. sure it is. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's yeah, not, it's not unheard of. It's not unprecedented. Yeah. It's unprecedented to see a school in the United States doing it, but um, yeah. there well, seems I, to I be a demand. A, a, yeah. Well, I think a big limiting factor is just the, the size of the school building and the space. You know, I, I was reading an article recently, you know, where LMU announced it's, you know, it's increased uh, extra class and, you know, they built their school to accommodate that. Um, they've yeah. got the, you know, the space to put people like I remember at Penn, there are three large lecture halls. So there is one for first year, second year and third year. Like you'd have to, you know, you'd have to create new space if you were going to add another class. Ha- and I think that's you, the case in a lot of, of the older schools. Have you ever been to LMU? Have you been out there? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. One of my goals is to get to all the vet schools. Um, so they are, they are on my list, but I have not made it yet. All right. So um, so so I've been so I've been to Penn a number of times, obviously. And and Penn for those people mm-hmm. who haven't been there, it's in like downtown Philadelphia. Like it is in a developed yes. city. How do you expand Penn? I have no idea. Like there would be, you would have to acquire some real estate <laughs> that already exists that someone else vacates, and they would have to be ready to leave. And like, I just I don't know how you grow pen. However, LMU is, uh, it is in the middle of nowhere. And I say that with love. It is absolutely <laughs> gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's mm-hmm. right on the line of like, uh, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. Uh, it's, um, it's kind of up in that, in that really rural mountainous area. Um, it's, uh, I think it's Cumberland Gap area. It's just, it's just uh, like yeah. the hiking yeah. and backpacking is gorgeous. It is just, absolutely pristine, beautiful. I, I want to go up there. I want to spend time up there and just walk around because I love being outside. That said, there's nothing there. Uh, I, I mean, I, I've been up there a number of times and, and, and I really like it, but they have room to expand is a generous way to mm-hmm. say it. Like they, they a hundred percent, there is very little holding them back yeah. from, from, uh, you know, just expanding their facilities. 
And so that's, that's, that's where they are. The other thing is they have a mindset to expand and they're willing to expand. So mm-hmm. I went up there a couple of years ago and I'll, I'll never forget. So it was when LMU was just getting going and I went up there and they'd been in, in practice for like two years. So they only had first and second year students. And I remember getting the mm. tour and like walking around the school and Kate, there were big sections of the school where the rooms were empty, except they had purchased everything they needed. And it was all piled in the middle of the room and wrapped in plastic. <laughs> and so, and like that was like half the school was just empty rooms with, with uh, chairs <laughs> and tables and microscopes wrapped in plastic. And it was the, it was the oddest thing. It was like someone was setting up a, a, a laboratory, you know, like some science fiction place. And right. uh, anyway, but I've, but like, they were they were in it and they were like, yep, we're doing this now mm-hmm. with the expectation that people will be here. And they have just continued to they've continued to grow. That school in general has continued to grow. So anyway, they're they're just doing yeah. interesting, innovative things. Two two classes a year. Absolutely. I'll be interested to see what it looks like. Let's talk about let's talk about uh let's talk about the demographic shift. So we're talking about enrollment and where that's coming yeah. from. Tell tell me tell me the story of of demographics in vet medicine. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, we're all pretty aware. Uh, I can remember being on the the floor of the AVMA House of Delegates back in, I think it would have been 2021, the first time we met back in person um, and, and watching the, the video that was released um, from the, um, you know, from the Diversify you know, vet med, um, those groups, the multicultural vet med association, I think sure. was kind of the spearheaded and just like, um, sh- watching that video of the experiences, uh, that people in vet med had had of being, you know, excluded, uh, racism, all of those things. And, you know, I grew up, um, in a pretty diverse area in Pittsburgh. Um, my mom is a minister and her whole life has been about anti-racism. And I grew up in an interracial church. And so, um, you know, it just, that really spoke to me. And, and so I, you know, it very closely followed the story of, of improving diversity in vet med. And, and I think we're starting to finally see a lot of that work you know, really paying off. And, and that's not work that started in 2021. That started well, well before. Um, And so it's exciting to see that we, you know, we've had this, you know, this big increase, Um, I believe it was about 23% of the, you know, the student body now comes from what has been historically underrepresented backgrounds. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. Um, honestly, that, that does, it feels really rapid, which is, which is great. You know, um, I know a lot of the groundwork mm-hmm. has been laid for a long time, but, but DEI really, uh, it's only, it's only been, uh, probably the, the multicultural vet med association sort of came onto my radar. I remember it was pre pandemic, but not very pre pandemic mm-hmm. that I really, I became aware of those guys and what they were yeah. doing. And, and they seem to, uh, seem to have made a significant impact. And, and that's, 20, 23% increase is pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It might've been, it might've been the 2020 summer delegates meeting and it was, but it was within the last couple of years, uh, you know, and, and just the, the, the amazing impact that we've seen um, and, and the profession really coming together and saying, yes, this is important. We need to address this. 
Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice. If you're a leader, that means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be a practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager, multi-site uh, medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us, uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right, let's get back into this episode. What's actually driving it? I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, we would like to increase diversity. I think that's the first step. Mm -hmm. The first step is awareness. And the second right. step is, right. what are we actually going to do about it? And so to tell, tell me about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is, you know, like I said, this is coming from years of work from a lot of people who recognized the lack of diversity a lot earlier than it was kind of a widespread conversation. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's about intentionally mentoring students um, who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds, um, making sure that they're even just aware of this as a profession. Um, you know, I think about, um, you know, we know that there's a lot of pets who don't receive veterinary care. Um, and, and, you know, that whole access to veterinary care conversation. Um, and a lot of those are in, in lower income communities, um, you know, in more rural communities. And, you know, I think there's a big overlap between that where people aren't seeing veterinarians who look like them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so getting out into elementary schools and middle schools and high schools and colleges and just the more that we expose the profession. Uh, to the public, um, and with a you know with a focus on those from underrepresented backgrounds, um, you know, and there's some great work from like Possibilities Vet Med, um, and there's Blend Vet, um, you know, and Journey for Teams from AVMA. You know, all these groups are really working hard to you know to improve diversity, um, and and having that exposure um, in you know in the pipeline. So Positivity Vet, Blend Vet, and what was the last group? Uh, possibilities, um, blend, and then AVMA just launched, it's called Journey for Teams, um, which is a DEI training program for vet clinics. They launched right, so. this summer. All right. So I'll put, uh, links to, I'll put links to all three of those in the show notes for people to check it out and learn more. Um, what, uh, what were you, is there anything you were surprised by? Is there anything, I don't know, that, that seemed counterintuitive to you as you looked at, at the changing demographics in the vet schools? The, the biggest surprise to me wasn't necessarily that we're seeing a decrease in male veterinarian students, um, but in talking to Dr. Greenhill and kind of understanding the larger 
picture of, of men in higher education was, was really eye-opening for me. We've historically, you know, for years, we've been seeing a, a decrease in, in male enrollment. Um, you know, like I remember when I was a kid and I said I wanted to be a veterinarian, um, you know, at five, um, Mm -hmm. like most of us, my, you know, my mom was very intentional about making sure that she only took us to veterinarians, took our pets to veterinarians who were female, because she wanted me to see females in veterinary medicine. Because when she was a child and said, I want to be a veterinarian, everyone said, you can't, you're, you're a woman, but you know, women aren't in vet med. Um, you know, and this was in the, you know, late 50s, early 60s. And um, so she went into a completely different profession that was male dominated, which was ministry. But, um, you know, for her, it was for her, it was really important that I saw that from the beginning. Um, And so, you know, we, you know, I always, you know, knew that I wanted to do it. And I had that support. And um, by the time I entered school, it, it had definitely the, you know, it had flipped and, and women were in the majority at that point. Um, and that trend has just continued where women, you know, you watch the women increasing and the men decreasing. Um, but when you actually, when you look at the, the applicant pool, um, I think it was something like 12% of the applicants were male, but 18% wow. of the class is so sure. there is an advantage there um, for men, um, you know, in that population. But, you know, when we look at just the undergraduate student population, it's also female dominated. Sure. So we're already pulling from a pool that is female dominated. So it's not so much that vet med is, you know, trying to, to push men out or anything. I think we absolutely need, you know, need men in our profession. It's another component of, of diversity is that gender component. Sure. Um, and, you know, they've only recently started tracking like non-binary and, and other, um, you know, other identifications. So there isn't as much data on that. Um, but I just think it's, it was really fascinating to me kind of looking at the broader picture of men in education. I think yeah. was one of the really eye-opening things for me. I think that's fascinating. There's, there's, uh, I think it's the book is called Crisis of, uh, Men and Boys. It's sort of a new, new, new book that came out uh, fairly recently. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, it's gotten a lot of attention recently talking about education and, and men, uh, in America. And, you know, as we look along, there's fewer and fewer men who graduate from high school than they used mm-hmm. to be. Women graduate from high school at much higher ranks. Women are much more likely to be high school valedictorian. Women are much more likely to go to college. Women are much more likely to finish college. And they're more likely to finish college at the top of their class, which obviously sets women up to be much more likely to, to go into vet school because vet school is competitive. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is, is academically rigorous, uh, is attractive to the, to, the, to the strongest students who feel like, yeah, I can handle that. And so I, I do yeah. think that we're, we're a part of this this much larger trend. But I do think it's interesting to us to, to think about what that means for diversity to have so few men um, mm-hmm. in, in the profession. I mean, t- th- I mean, think about 12% applicants are male, you know, and, and 50, what, 48% of the population is male, something like that. Basically, 50% yeah. of the population is yeah. male. Like that's, that is, that is incredible. And then yeah. uh, one of the things I also think is really interesting is when you talk to the economists about what feminization of a profession looks like mm-hmm. and, and how that tends to go. And we look at other professions that have um, skewed to uh, to a, a, a predominantly female ratio. There are there are a number of things that come along with that just that trend in, in an industry. And you say, well, mm-hmm. you know, we tend to see lower salaries, and we tend to see things like that. And and again, I do not 
I do not like that. And that is not, that is not a fun story. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want us to be a part of that story. That's, that's broken. Yeah. But, and, and salaries are implicated as being part of the reason that we see that, dif- that differential is that, you know, if you were pulling from a, you, we've got a smaller pool yep. of men in the STEM majors and they tend to gravitate towards those majors and those disciplines that have higher starting salaries. And unfortunately, vet med is not one of them. Yeah. Um, Oh, so yeah. that, you know, that is definitely part of the conversation is, is how the starting salary impacts the, the choice of, of career. Oh, I, I think that's true. I, I think that there's a, a reality and a perception, too, around the financial security that comes from veterinary medicine. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. I, I think that that's I think that's something we as a profession need to keep working on. Right. I, I want people yeah. to look at vet medicine and say, yes, if I went there, I would be able to support my family. You know, I would be able to, to pay my bills. I, it would be. I don't think any of us are trying to get rich, but we we would like to feel like we're financially stable. I think yeah. I think that I think the debt problem in vet medicine has hurt us as far as attracting applicants who say, "Well, yeah, I I want to have a, I want to have a profession that that I know that I'll be able to send my kids to college." And I just I think that that's I think that those are, are real realities as you look at where we are. And I go, well, they're all they're all interconnected. But I I don't I don't know if we'll be able to to attract men back to our profession if we don't. Affect, uh, affect the economics of what it means to be a veterinarian, and maybe that's maybe that's a cynical view. Um, maybe that's not remotely true. I, I tend to I tend to think it probably is. I don't know. Where do you where do you where do you think this all goes, Kate? Like when you look in your crystal ball and you look ahead five <laughs> years, ten years. I mean, really, are, are we are yeah? What do you what do you see? I mean, I'm not going to ask you to say we're going to be this percent uh, right, underrepresented right. minorities or this percent male. But I mean, overall trends, uh, is there anything to make us think that, first of all, I feel good about the increase in, in diversity that we're seeing in our profession. Like, I like it. It's going to be a long road. It's going to be continuous work. But hey, it hard feels work. good to look around. Yeah, it is going to be hard work. But it does feel good to look around and say, we're, we're putting one foot in front of the other. I think people uh, have have a good uh they have good hearts and they're doing the work and i think people generally see the value in increasing diversity in our profession i felt that most people have been like yeah we we got we've we've got work to do in this area and there's a lot of benefits for our profession to have this and there's a lot of individual uh benefits for pet owners for us to increase diversity and so i've been really happy to actually see people put their money where their mouth is and do and do the work and not just talk about it so i i'm very proud yeah. of our profession that way um yeah so i hope that we continue to see that going I, I don't I, I wonder what's going to happen with our uh, with the the gender um, uh, ratio in our profession. I don't yeah. know. What are your thoughts? Um, I mean, I I think you know definitely you know the the economics of just where we are right now is is a big part of that conversation. And I am far from an economist, um, but you know that uh, we've seen declines in undergraduate enrollment. Um, and unfortunately, the people who are most affected by that are our first generation students, our underrepresented backgrounds, um, our lower income, you know, families. Um, and so, you know, I hope that we do continue to see that growth in, in diversity. And I certainly hope we don't backslide. Um, but I, I do worry that with the current, you know, with the current economics of, of undergraduate, um, education, you know, there, that, that's something we have to be aware of, um, because, you know, no, you don't have to, you don't have to finish, you know, get your bachelor's degree to get into vet school, but you at least have to have the classes done. Um, And so making sure that, you know, that's remaining accessible, I think is big. And, and I, and I hope that we, you know, are able to, to get a little more of, you know, of an equal balance between, you know, male and female students. But, um, 
you know, like we, you know, we kind of talked about the the landscape of that already. And so I wouldn't be surprised if if that trend, you know, kind of continues. I'm sure at some point it stabilizes out. Um, you know, I don't think I doubt we're going to get to the point where there's no men coming in. Um, yeah, I don't think so. But, you know, but certainly, you know, it's kind of, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where it all lands um, in the end. Well, yeah, it's it's and it's a work it's a work in progress. I, I'll tell you, mm-hmm. I, I look at look at my crystal wall, which is highly unreliable. It's been proven to me in the last few years. <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine. Mine hasn't I know. come yet. It supposed to get lost in the mail. It's probably the best thing when that happens. Um, yeah, but, but I look, I I see a path in the future that's more attractive for technicians. I I, I really mm-hmm. do because when you look at the cost of going to college, and people are starting to have real questions about is this it was the return on investment on, on a college education, and then you look at the debt load in vet school. I, I think that if technicians become more empowered and we leverage our technicians better and we compensate our technicians better, I, I think that that um, technician certification, the, you know, the associate's degrees, uh, you know, things uh, where you can do a shorter program, a lower, a lower cost to get uh, to get your credentials. Now, the, the compensation has to come around to make that worthwhile. But I think it's a whole lot it makes more economic sense to have more, more support staff, more paraprofessionals that are well-trained and well-compensated than it does to, to keep growing veterinarians, which is a long, ex- super expensive path. And so I, I, yeah. I, I suspect that we'll, we'll continue to see, uh, I hope we'll continue to see more certified credentialed technicians and we'll be using them Absolutely. more and they'll be better compensated. I, I think, um, I think when, when we look at, uh, at the, at the vet schools. I'm optimistic with the rising salaries for veterinarians right now. So starting salaries of vets have gone up. Um, there's been, you know, a lot of change and, and I hope that that will, I hope that that will continue on. I, it definitely makes the debt more palatable when, when vets have more earning <laughs> power and are starting at higher salaries. So that, that helps. But, um, but I, I don't know, Kate, when I, I don't see the, the debt problem going away. I'm not seeing anything really effective. Uh, you know, we did, there was a student loan forgiveness program that came out that kind of felt like a drop in the bucket to me and without really addressing the underlying problem. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, I look at those economics and I go, I, I don't know what we're going to do about, um, about making veterinary medicine more attractive uh, to, be, to, to be a stronger magnet. But I, I really think that's, that's my goal is, is if we can make this profession financially attractive to people, mm-hmm. I think we sort a lot, of, a lot of problems out. I think we have to, we have to continue to fight uh, against the debt problem and we have to keep working for doctor and support staff compensation and, 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 and balance that with yeah. keeping care affordable. But I, I am, I am optimistic. Right. Absolutely. So I agree. I think it's, you know, it's definitely, you know, I mean, I love working with students and, and mentoring and, and, seeing, you know, them grow. And, um, you know, I work with a lot of pre-vet students and, and watching them, you know, get into vet school. And, you know, I've, I've now have some that have graduated that I wrote recommendation letters for, which makes me feel super old. Um, and I realize I'm still very early in my career. Um, but, I, you know, it's, it's exciting to see that, that changing landscape. And, and yeah, I think the you know, like you said, the the big challenge is going to be making it a, an attractive profession and a, and a solvent profession while still, you know, in, you know, keeping our care the way it is, you know, for all of all of our patients. Yeah, I agree. There's a there's a shared glory in writing a rec letter for somebody who gets into vet school <laughs> in there. Like, it's just like, yeah, I get to really bask is. in their glow. It's like, I love it. Like, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, I know I didn't really do anything. <laughs> like, you did all the work. But I wrote, yeah. I wrote a nice note that went uh, yeah. with you, and uh, and yeah, so it, it I'm helped. going to yeah, exactly right, I, exactly right. Yeah. I, so that always makes me feel good. 
Kate Boatwright, thanks so much for being here. Where can people find you? Where, where can they read your, uh, your writing and keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, so um, I am on Instagram. It's at Write the Boat. It's W-R-I-T-E, The Boat. Um, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn at Kate Boatwright. Um, and then I do have a website, www.writetheboat.com. Uh, again, it's W-R-I-T-E, The Boat. Uh, and that's where all of my upcoming speaking, all of my articles are archived there. Um, and, uh, you know, soon we'll be launching a, a mentorship program for practices through there. Very great. Very great. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Kate. Thanks so much for being here. Guys, thanks uh, for tuning in. You guys take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next week. And that is our show. Guys, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks to Kate Boatwright for being here. As always, if you enjoyed the show, there's nothing else you could do but, uh, that would help me more than just sharing it with your friends. I love it when people write honest reviews uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, uh, Apple Podcasts is a big place that people look when they're looking for a podcast, so that helps a lot. But honestly, just if you think it's good, send it to other people who might also think it's good. I, I super appreciate it. Anyway, guys, that's what I got. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Talk to you later. Bye.